0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 586 of So You Want To Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. Now, I'm very excited about an event that we have going on um, on the 1st of February, and it's just a fantastic live Zoom seminar from 7 p.m. Sydney, Melbourne time to 8.30, and you can register for it and book in, and it's called Focus on Flashbacks and Memories. I've gone through all of the course material, and I think it is so helpful and so useful for anyone who is writing fiction, because chances are one of your characters is going to have some kind of memory, they're going to call upon a memory, or it may be better told in a flashback so this seminar will tell you all of the um, technical details on how to do it properly because with flashbacks and memories you can bring more to your reader you can add another dimension to your characters and your plot so um, it's such a great technique to master because also if it's not done well it can be very jarring to the reader and really bring your reader out of the story, so you need to be able to include your flashbacks and memories seamlessly in your story. Because, you know, maybe something about your character's past is really important for your readers to understand what they're going through or or their motivations or whatever. And then, you know, there might be a, a particular scene, like a, a really pivotal scene from your character's past that will finally reveal the secret they've been keeping or something like that. How do you... Do you need to do a dual timeline or can you insert it into what is a present day narrative in a flashback or a memory, right? It is such a useful thing to understand. Now some people might do do it instinctively but not have all of the um uh not have it polished. This will help you do that and some of you may not be doing it in- instinctively, and so you need to learn the structure on how to do it because there are rules also about which tenses to use. Yep, different tenses for flashback, memory, present day, obviously. So, yeah, you need to know what they are. Um, so, how do you transition between the past and the present without confusing your readers? And another question I get asked a lot is do you need to keep the memories in a chronological order? Well, the wonderful Pamela Freeman, who also writes under Pamela Hart and has over 40 books, uh, 40 novels to her name, will be running this fantastic Focus on Flashback and Memories. Um, if you want to find out more, go to writerscenter.com.au slash focus on flashbacks. That's writerscenter.com.au slash focus on flashbacks. And it will be well worth it. I promise. And now let's welcome Nat Newman, one of our fantastic creative writing tutors here at the Australian Writers' Centre, but an all round Renaissance woman as well. And she's here to give us our writing tip this week. How are you, Nat?
1: I'm great, Valerie. How are you?
0: Good. What's, what have you been up to?
1: Oh, not a lot. You know, me just keeping, trying to keep out of trouble by doing too many things, the usual. <laughs>
0: yes, yes, definitely. How, have, are you picking up any new skills this year that you've decided on?
1: Do you know what? I Apart from go. improv,
0: which we discussed last week.
1: Yes, I am. <clears throat> I'm going to learn how to drive this year, Valerie. <laughs> what? I know. What? <laughs> you don't know how to drive? I know. I know. I know. I, you know. I, just I don't never mean to drive me. shame
0: you, but <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I just didn't interest me. And then, um, how did this happen? How do you go no. decades on this planet and not know how to drive? Well, you know, I, lo- I love to walk everywhere. I love public transport. Like I actually love public transport, Um, you know, and and <laughs> if something's, if some I'm one of these crazy people, like I'm like, ah, oh, it's only four kilometres. I'll just walk it. So, um, yeah, so I've just gotten, I mean, I've, I've walked across countries. So, you know, I've, I'm really crazy about walking. So I just love it. But. Yeah, I decided this year maybe I should actually learn how to drive.
0: (laughs) And what has, after you've gone, as I've said, so many decades without knowing how to drive, what's finally made you go, oh, let's learn now?
1: I don't know. I think um, being back in Australia after many years away, um, I can sort of see how it's a useful skill because things here, (laughs) well, public I mean, public transport, I have to say, is is pretty good in Australia, much better than most people. (laughs) People love to complain about it, but I, I find it pretty good. Um, but I can see how it would be handy, particularly as my parents are getting a bit older and stuff, it might be handy to be able to drive them around sometimes. So not that I'd never actually want to own a car, God forbid. But um yeah, I suppose it could be handy to actually learn how to drive. So I'm gonna start that probably next week. You can get those go get cars
0: that could Yeah, true. Can be yeah. quite handy, you know, the shared vehicles, that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, yeah, all right. Well, <clears throat> learning to drive, fantastic. <laughs> I was not expecting that. No. Right. So, what is our tip this week?
1: Uh, now I forgot. Oh, yes. Okay. So, my writing <laughs> tip this week is um, create a structure for your writing time. Now, as you know, and probably our mm-hmm. listeners may know by now, I do love structure. I like to block things out in my calendar. Um, And it's really, really great if you've blocked out, let's say you blocked out an hour or two hours, if you're really lucky, you've set aside two hours in your calendar and that's your writing time. Um, But you can really set yourself up for greatness by structuring that time as well. So don't just say, I'm going to write for two hours because you know what's going to happen. You're going to sit down, you're going to check your email, you're going to, you know, open up a different project and you're going to read through that and then you're going to look up some short story competitions or whatever. No, have some structure before you sit down. So, and that can be honestly a checklist that is as clear as sit down, open up Scrivener, open up current project in Scrivener or Word or whatever you use, Um, revise the last 500 words and then write 500 words and then have a cup of coffee. I mean, and I know that might sound a little too structured, but if you know exactly what you're doing when you sit down it actually frees you up to just do the work rather than, you know, faffing about because look, we all do love to faff about, don't we?
0: <laughs> so what, tell us what your structure is. Like if you have a writing block, what's your structure? What do, and and of course we know that that's in particular, you know, specific to you and everyone should work out their own structure, but just out of interest, what's yours?
1: Well, yeah, it'll really depend on the project I'm working on. But I think the main thing is to actually, what I like to do is to sit down and know what I'm actually going to work on because I think too often, particularly if you've got a lot of projects on. um, And lots of ideas. Yeah, and it's very, very easy to sort of, you know, you open up Word or whatever and then you start scrolling through, you know, five different stories and not working on the one that you're going to work on. So often what I like to do is I have um, like proper flashcards and I'll actually write out on the flashcards what I'm going to do. And so I will write in big black texter, working on the door of inconvenience or working on just Harry or working on whatever short story I happen to be working on and actually put that in front of me so that I know that that is what I'm working on. And when then do you I, put
0: it in front of you though? What's that? Sorry. When do you put it in front of you? Is it there all the time, 24 hours a day so that no, no, not No, you just, can't,
1: yeah. no, no. When, when I'm working on like for that two hour block, I will put Mm -hmm. that in front of me, whether I stick it on the wall or I just, you know, put it on the desk in front of me. So I, every time I look around, am I, is that what I'm working on? Yes, that's what I'm working on. And then I like to do things like, um, set aside time for revising. So only like say 10 minutes, um, of just quickly looking, flicking back to see where I am. Um, you know, what did I write yesterday or what did I write last week? And then I, I love timers So I will, um, set a, so whether, whatever works for you, either 500 words or 20 minutes or half an hour or 40 minutes, but, um, but set that target and then just write for that amount of time. If you go over that, fantastic. Um, but, but the thing for me is I'm not allowed to get up. I'm not allowed to go make another cup of coffee. I'm not allowed to check my email or anything else in that time. I have to just do the work in that time.
0: So, okay, I have a question because, as you say, you are very structured. You've got this at 3 o'clock, this at 4 o'clock, this at 4.30, this at 4.50, this at 5.30 and so on, and you like timers. So when you have a two-hour writing block and you are, you know, in the creative flow, it's just coming out of you, it's amazing, and there's 10 seconds left but you've got so much more, but, you know, you've got your Italian lesson at 4 o'clock, what happens? Do you actually stop mid flow to go to the next thing that you've got scheduled? Or what happens?
1: I have to admit, I don't think I ever have that sort of flow. I think it's <laughs> it's, it's always like, oh God, I've still got ten minutes to go. So I very rarely get that flow. But um, I think it was I can't remember it might have been Ernest Hemingway who said um that he would finish in the middle of a sentence. So I don't think it's a bad thing to to stop mid flow and just trust that you'll pick it back up. Um the next day or the next session. And in fact, there's something exciting about that. It's like getting into, you know, when you do pick it up again and going, oh, that's right. I was in that flow. And then that excitement can actually propel you into your next session. So I think there's nothing wrong with that.
0: I don't think I could do that. I must admit, I, I, I don't let myself stop in mid flow because I'm too scared that it's not going to come back. Mm. So I have to let it all out, kind of thing, or as much yeah, out right. as possible, or, or remind myself as which is again, it's not really stopping because you have to write down the reminders to yourself what to do next. Um, so I've yet to actually stop mid sentence or stop mid flow to even see whether it's possible to pick mm. it up because I'm too scared
1: to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, and I think, you know, there is, um, Uh, there's there's value in the flow but yeah maybe maybe try it out sometime like and and just trust yourself that it's that you're actually going to be able to pick it up again because all
0: right we'll see
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's not finite you know it's it's there's that creativity it's always there yes that's true
0: all right well that's great advice thank you so much for your tip this week nat thank you Let's move on to our competition this week. I have three copies of The Dinner Party by Rebecca Heath. Rebecca Heath, author of The Summer Party, remember that, brings you an exhilarating new thriller, The Dinner Party. Explore the depths of a seemingly perfect suburban neighbourhood in this dark, twisted domestic thriller where family secrets find their best hiding places. Here's the blurb. Four couples... Summer 1979, in the idyllic suburban neighbourhood of Ridgefield, during a scorching heatwave, four couples gather for their weekly dinner party. An ordinary evening, when Frank Callahan checks on the sleeping children, he finds an empty crib where his four-month-old daughter Megan should be sleeping. The partygoers swear they didn't see anything, but each of them has something to hide. The beginning of a nightmare. 40 years later, a stranger knocks at the Calligan's door claiming to be Megan. The family are sceptical until they see what she is holding the blanket she was wrapped in the night she disappeared. Where has Megan been all this time? And how well do you really know your neighbours? All right, so if you want your chance to win uh, one of three copies of The Dinner Party by Rebecca Heath, entries close on the 29th of January. All you need to do, it's super easy, is go to Writer's Centre dot com dot au slash win and just enter your details and you will go in the draw to win that's writercentercomau dot slash win and now are you ready for the word of the week the word of the week this week is spurrier that's s-p-u-r-r-i-e-r spurrier Okay, this one's kind of obvious, but a Spurrier is someone who makes spurs. <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just makes me so curious. Are there any Spurriers still out there in the world? I tried to Google it, but I just kept getting people with the last name Spurrier. If you know any Spurriers, do let me know. I would love to know. And that was the Word of the Week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Would you like to write a novel for young adults? Do you want to create gripping, enthralling stories for teenagers? The popularity of books for the young adult market has exploded in the last decade, becoming one of the most successful areas of the industry. But what is it exactly and who is it aimed at? And do you need special skills or knowledge to write for this sophisticated and complex readership? In the course, Writing Young Adult Fiction, you'll discover the key elements of a young adult novel, understand why writing for teenagers is different, develop skills in character development and point of view, get up to date with the current state of young adult publishing, and much more. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash adult That's writerscentercomau slash adult now let's move on to our writer-in-residence this week. Joe Riccioni's latest novel is The Rising, the conclusion of the gripping branded season duology. Joe's first novel was The Italians at Cleats Corner Store, which was subsequently published in Australia and the UK. After that first historical novel, inspired by family history, Joe returned her great love fantasy with her first epic romanticy duology, The Branded Season, published by Pantera Press. She's also a creative writing tutor at the Australian Writer Centre. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jo. Thanks for having me, Val. Got so much to talk to you about, but uh, most exciting is The Rising, your latest novel. Do tell us what it's about.
2: Okay, so it's book two of a duology. So there's only two books in the series. And The Rising literally picks up running with the baton of where we left it in book two. Um, I don't mess around and <laughs> get straight back into the plot. And um, it continues with the journey of Nara and her twin sister, Osha, as they uh, go to a new country, the the country that uh, where their love interest, our Wrangler, for people who know Book One, um, is from. And it's a country that, you know, the girls don't know much about. They've been kept in this very remote um, citadel where they've been brought up. And they are going to discover that their world is not as they've been told it. All the politics, everything they believe about themselves is completely different. And um, the fight is on to, to, you know, represent the branded and change the way the branded are perceived in in the continent of, you know, Isfak and the rest of the world.
0: Now, just in case people haven't read book one, tell us what the branded refers to so that we have that context.
2: Yeah, sure, because a lot of people won't know the the first book. So my... And they should. They
0: should go get it and read it immediately (laughs) and then get this one. But anyway, yeah, please do give us the context
2: so yeah my world is a medieval inspired fantasy world that's set about a hundred years after a virus has decimated the population and survivors are divided into those who are susceptible to disease um they're smaller uh not as strong they have brands on their skin that denote that they're of this class and the ruling minority are pure skinned the women in that minority group uh of pures are kept in the north of the country in a remote citadel where they are have a, a life of luxury but they are their intended purpose in life is to breed more pure skinned warriors and a super race if you like um so my twin sisters nara and osha who've grown up in the forest and were taken into the Citadel when they were discovered to have pure skin, uh, want to escape. They don't like this fate ahead of them. Nara in particular, my main character, has grown up hunting. She's got an affinity for animals and her sister Osha um, is a kind of early prototype doctor in a way. She's really fascinated with uh, the curative arts and um, healing and they go on the run basically aided by a sleigh driver because they're in the north surrounded by snow who helps them to escape but they can't trust him they don't really know he's from the very south of the continent they don't know much about him but they uh, the first book follows their journey through the wastelands uh where they discover life is not what what quite what they were told it was supposed to be outside the protective environs of the citadel mm. it's
0: such a fantastic story and it's so gripping and i love the world that you create in you know these worlds what I would love to know is because you your first novel, The Italians at Cleeds Corner Store, was um, a standalone novel, right? Yeah. This is a duology. Did mm. you know from the start that it was going to be a du- duology and did you know what was going to happen in each book? Because it's kind of like if you if you go you if you know you're going to have two books. I imagine that you kind of need to know the main beats of the book, but then how do pantsers do that?
2: <laughs> yeah, and I am a pantser actually. I think of myself as a pantser anyway. Um, but I think this book that came about it was birthed in a different way because when I first wrote it, I thought it was going to be two books, and I had the basic ideas for what was going to happen at the end, and um. When I pitched it to my agent for submission to the U.S. and the U.K. and so forth, they um, she said, look, it's going to be so much more sellable as a standalone because you're a debut fantasy writer. My first book was historical fiction in a more literary vein, and this was more commercial fantasy. So um, she said, let's try and get it into one book. So I did spend quite a lot of time putting it into one book which she pitched and then when Pantera, my Australian publishers first wanted it, they said, it sounds like there's a lot in here and you could do two books from it. Would you be open to making it two books? And I'm like, well, yeah, perfect because it was originally two books. So then when it came to the process of writing The Rising, I had a lot of material, but I did I did have to still go away and write a lot because I was beefing it up a lot more. Um, I hadn't fully written the two books when I submitted to my agent for the first time. So, um, yeah, I still had a lot to do, but it's almost like I had a map of where I was going. But I still, I am a pantser, so it's it changed <laughs> a lot. So,
0: but from day one, why did you think, oh, this is two books? Was your story just that, you know, did did you really feel that you had to, um, especially when you didn't know what the story was going to be? Mm, yeah. <laughs> did,
2: why did you think it was going to be two books? Um, I, Just because the... Com- complexity of the world and establishing the world and the journey. And I like to really, you know, I'm a, characters are my big thing. I really like to stay with my characters development. My minor characters uh, are important to me, too. Um, I like to make them fully rounded. And I just felt there was enough space to do that as well as develop the world. And I think perhaps a lot of fantasy writers do feel that um, in I mean, in hindsight now, I mean, now thinking about, and you know, staring down the barrel of a new manuscript, <laughs> <laughs> I am quite interested in standalone fantasy and how people do it. And um, I I mean, I love reading series, but I am very aware that, I mean, a lot of readers, you've got to keep them really invested across the course of three books now. I'm not sure whether our attention spans are getting a bit shorter. I don't know. I know when I speak to people about what they watch on Netflix, for example, they they like to binge a series and have everything there right from the word go, and they like to know how many parts there are, how many episodes. Um, so I don't know. I'm kind of, yeah. Does that answer your question? I don't know whether it did. <laughs> oh,
0: so tell me though, when you were right at what point did you know the story of book two? Were you were you in book one, like writing book one, or did you not actually think about it till after book one was done and dusted?
2: Um. Yeah, it's a good question, and I think if I'm going to be absolutely honest, I didn't know the nitty gritty of book two at all. All I knew is that this is building up to a a battle and a revolution, which I always knew it would. Um. So I knew I had like the you know headlights on in the dark kind of analogy, the Stephen King analogy. I kind of knew roughly where I got to get to, but I didn't know exactly the route. So, um. Yeah. I I guess I kind of did, I was winging a lot of it as I wrote it and I I feel as though I'm a very, uh, (laughs) I'm not a very planning kind of writer, I'm not not a plotter. Um, But, yeah, I kind of, and I hold a lot of stuff in my head when I write. Mm. So it comes organically. Mm. I'm
0: curious to know because when book one comes out, uh, this is for anyone who's writing in a series, you Mm. start getting feedback like from readers, you know, oh, I love that character. Oh, you know, like the, you just get lots of different types of feedback from readers. So in your instance, did any of that feedback feed into or
2: impact what you were going to write in book two? Um, not for me personally. I know it does with a lot of other fantasy writers because they're on a three-book deal and it's they're getting instant feedback via social media. Mine was already, by the time book one was launched it was i was already well into the depths of writing book two and that's often the way it works it really depends on your time scales and how many books you're writing across the course of two books it might not be time enough to get that feedback and i'm a debut fantasy writer really with the with the branded the risings only the second fantasy book i've written in this in the series so um yeah so i think with other writers when they've got a following they can get that kind of online immediate um feedback i mean i know that i was i have had feedback from readers um after reading the branded when they came to see me when i was promoting the rising and they were saying you know oh i love house he's one of my favorite characters or you know um i was really glad you you the way you developed osha she was really you know she struck a chord with me and so that was quite gratifying yeah but i have heard other other fantasy writers say they did bond in some ways that you know the fans are starting to kind of influence uh, and i think that's a great thing i love that
0: yeah um, and with the um you're a, a a former high school teacher yeah and um you also work with you know teens and young people in some of your current roles mm-hmm. um and you also teach uh, the teenage creative writers program at the Australian Writers Centre. You have, and I know that you have this real heart for young people. What do you think? Because um, there are a lot of listeners who might have teens as mm. as as, as or, or have teens in their life, and may want to can see that there's this spark or this interest in writing, but just don't know, apart from buying books for them, which is great, of course, but just don't know how else to
2: nurture that, what would your advice to them be? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I always think the starting point is to read what they're reading and talk about it. Um, It's so important. Um, I have done it with both my kids. One's an avid reader and um, it, she's gone into animation, just into storyboarding actually. And, um, you know, one of the things we still do, even to this day, and she's 23, is is to, you know, basically watch things together, read the same books and talk about it. It's one of my great joys is to do that with young people, is to talk about the books they're reading and see what they're taking from it, as opposed to what an adult or a person with many years of experience of life is taking from it. And it keeps you young. It keeps you current as well. So you're benefiting. Um, But I think after that, it would probably be if they're showing interest, but it's got to come from the child. If they're showing interest and they really want to write, um, don't necessarily read their writing. You don't necessarily need to give them feedback because I think that's for somebody else to do. You're too close for comfort. So I always think it's great to get them into a writing group or get them onto some short courses that they might like to do outside of school. Something that's not associated with school because school. As much as I'm, I've got a great respect for teachers, I was one. Yes. <laughs> School has to teach in a certain way. School has to teach to show off vocabulary, show off poetic uh, ways of um, describing things and show off um, poetic techniques that are going to score well in the HSC. But it doesn't always make the really great writing that's um, compelling and incisive that we see in published books today. It's just a different kind of writing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I I hate to say this to teenage writers because, you know, sometimes what they're told to put into an HSC essay doesn't make for the best kind of publishable writing because it's too purple prose, if you know what I mean yes but also it's a
0: good pra- it's good practice to know how to adapt to different types of writing they have to write that way to get marks in the hsc and that is a good skill to have um because it's it's about fulfilling a brief really um mm. but also there are different ways of writing the way somebody writes a freelance feature article is completely different to the way you know people write fiction so I think it's um great practice for them as well
2: yeah I'm always amazed at the number of journalists who become novelists because journalistic writing is so different from novel writing so different and that's another skill they have to learn you know it's not a natural assumption people say oh well, they got that book published because they were a journalist no they didn't get that book published because they were a journalist they probably had some great research background that they could in techniques and interview techniques and you know knowing how to research a book but it doesn't make necessarily make them a great novelist You've got such a great
0: foundation in terms of your background because you studied English at uni and uh, a master's in medieval literature as well. (laughs) (laughs) And we get such incredible feedback from the students who are in your classes, not just the teenagers, but also you teach adult classes in creative writing for us at the Australian Writers' Centre. In terms of adults, there are a lot of I meet mean, a lot of, um, and I'm sure you would too, uh, a lot of adults who you know they loved writing at school mm. or or long time ago, whenever that was, and they're really scared to, they're just scared to take it up again for some reason, um, and, and they're all different reasons. Uh, what would your advice be to them, to to try and get over that um, that block? I think
2: we. I think one of the hardest things when you um you're trying to explore a new hobby later in life is and let's call it a hobby to begin with, because I think you should really strip it from all expectation because if you have expectation ahead of you of I'm gonna get published a novel, it, it becomes a pressure, it becomes like another work and it becomes another thing that is just weighing you down. And um I think therein disappointment lies, you know. So um I think um the idea of going back to play and giving yourself permission to play is such an important thing that we forget about creative endeavors and um, I've heard a lot of people talk about this recently and um, you know explore it especially experienced creatives who are um, experiencing burnout you know who are like I need to go back to that way I felt when I first started writing and the joy that I had and remind yourself why you loved writing when you're at school and then strip it of all expectation and just go let's go and play let's go and on a course meet some other people um, explore it and see what happens if nothing happens if you know then so be it but otherwise you'll always have that question hanging over your head why didn't I do it and I, I, I want to reassure people that I didn't go. I didn't start writing until I had my kids in my thirties. Um, I was so busy studying other people's work and thinking that I wasn't able to be a writer because you know, didn't have an intellectual academic background. In my family, we weren't great readers. It, that was just all my passion. So I came at it once. It was weird. I was talking about this to someone in my writers group recently, and it was like only with the confidence that having children brought me was I able to sort of convert that to the confidence of look I'm this now or never if I don't ever try this I'm never going to do it and also you know I just gave birth to this baby. <laughs> and let me unpack that a bit please what do you mean
0: by the confidence that you had from having children and then that transferred into writing can you
2: explain that a bit more? It's really weird I don't know how many people feel this but I just felt very empowered when I had my kids and I know a lot of people really struggle and they're like oh my goodness I'm I just can't cope there's no way I could write a novel and have kids and and I didn't do it straight away I mean I I did it because I'd moved from the corporate world to a world where I was at home looking after two well eventually two children and if I didn't do something you know Creative or intelligent, I would be mashing pumpkin all day. It was going to drive me loony to the loony bin, to be honest. You know, so um, I needed that. And I also felt, you know, I've 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 done this amazing thing. I've given birth to these children. What else can I create? I was like this kind of megalomaniac kind of <laughs> creator. I got a massive um, boost from having my kids. It was hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It's bloody hard. It's really difficult to carve out that space. But um, yeah, I'm like, wow, you can do this. You can do this other thing. <laughs> it's just right. you know, those, memes, those memes that are going around on Instagram at the moment. What made you start? This was like sheer delusion.
0: <laughs> so it's really. Oh my God. I love it. Okay. I want to uh, circle back to the fact that these this duology is fantasy and I want to talk about um, fantasy writing because they're such, uh, the, the readers of fantasy are so, are so loyal um, and they absolutely love the genre and they get really into the characters, the world, particularly the world. In terms of fantasy, do you think that people should start, because there are love, people who want want to write fantasy, and do you think they should start with the world? with the plot, with the characters, with what, you know, what's what's a, a key component and then they can kind of build from there?
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting question because I think a lot of writers will say, well, oh, start with characters, start with character," you know, because that's going to be what carries your novel and what compels your readers and they've got to be vested in your characters. And I do agree with that, absolutely. But when recently I was interviewed, um, by a friend for another podcast about where did I start with the branded? I think it was the the theme of um, this commodification of female fertility, this idea that women only have value if they have children. And I wanted to really explore that. And it's something I'd explored when I'd studied, um, you know, Margaret Atwood as a a young person when I was at at university and and I was doing a, a class in feminist perspectives in literature. And so that was something that was really, had been with me for a long, long time, many decades. And then when I had my own children, it it sort of resurfaced again. So I did kind of start with theme, if you like, or or some topic that I wanted to explore. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But then in the process of putting the book together, a story together, that's when you have to come back to your characters. Your characters have to speak to you and um, they... They grow they just keep growing as you write so yeah mm. you can start with theme you can start with character people some people start with world because one of your things you might be fascinated with might be a particular um aspect of a world that you're you're you know you want to explore or you think is a really cool idea mm. what would your
0: advice be to people who okay they've got their you know they've got their starting point anyway and they know they need a consistent and authentic and believable world that is um you know that 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 works on the page what would your advice be on a um i guess systematic way or or, or structure structured way for them to build that world
2: yeah i think that's that's something people really struggle with at first and i struggled with it um because you do a lot of world building in your own head in other documents you might be keeping research documents and files um you might be keeping pinterest boards you know one of the things i was uh presented at the romance writers of australia conference when i did a um, a um, presentation on world building for them was trying to think of not putting your world in your novel but rather your novel in your world. So you only need as much of the world to tell your story. The rest of it can be there for you to know, but you've got to be so well-versed in that world that when you tell the story, it kind of comes through seamlessly in the telling of the story. The other thing I would advise is that maybe you don't need as much detail as you think you do to convince your readers. You need the key things, the key differences. um, So it sounds
0: like... It sounds like what you're saying is that you really need you as a in your head or you as background really need to know your world intimately and in great detail, but not all that detail needs to be in the story. So my question is, how do you develop the world in that detail for your own benefit? What's your advice on that?
2: Oh, so sort of techniques that you might use too. Mm. Um, I think it's got to come from um, thinking about every aspect that we think of in our world today like what's the transport going to be what's the religion going to be what's um is this world does it have a touchstone in the real world and i think that's always a really helpful thing to do is to have a touchstone in the real world so is your world based in the northern hemisphere is it going to be snowy what's the climate going to be what are the flora and fauna are you going to use real animals or are you going to use fictional world specific animals are you going to incorporate languages um so there are endless questions that you can find and there'll be lots of information on the internet about this aspects of developing your world and answering you don't have to necessarily approach it as a checklist um but some of those things might just be a trigger for you to sort of think about okay do i need to go into that detail do my do my characters need to talk about money um i'm not sure that they do um is there another way that but you know, a lot of the times this will come up in um, a scene and you'll go, well, hang on a minute, they've stopped at an inn. You know, the bartender has said given them some food or drink. How are they going to pay for it? You know, mm. so are you going to go into that detail or can you avoid it and then avoid the whole currency thing? You know, mm. um, it's, like, it's like the often, often times spoken about question of, do your characters eat and drink and go to the toilet? I mean, <laughs> we really need that information. A lot of books never tell you that information. I mean, I go into food because I love food a lot. <laughs> so And I go into drink. And my characters have like world-specific drinks, uh, alcoholic drinks. <laughs> so this is, um, you know, this is as much as this is a book that young adults can read, it is shelved in the adult section because of those references to drinking, sex, and the sex is quite minimal compared to the other young adult books, actually. But there is, um, yeah, those aspects that maybe librarians wouldn't want young people, you know, reading about.
0: So with, um, when one is building a world, they you give names to places, to people, to characters, to drinks, to, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Have you, I'm always fascinated by, especially when they are unique words, how you
2: come up with such words. What was your way? Yeah, I think um, all fantasy writers have their little ways and means, um, but um I love, I mean, for me, it was suited my setting. I was, and also my medieval background, um, I was looking at Old Norse words, which a lot of fantasy writers do. I mean, it dates back to Tolkien, you know, Old Icelandic, Old Norse. I was looking at a lot of Scandinavian mixtures of languages from the Scandinavian origins. And um, I was getting, for my Northern Hemisphere countries, I was getting a lot of root words from there. And then blending them with maybe a contemporary word, and put and sort of doing a little bit of a word mash. Um, uh, sometimes I would it would just be a word I'd hear, and i and I'd go, "Oh, that's just a really cool word." And I think the sound of it kind of fits. You know, each language, even though you're not a language speaker, you know, a, has a certain sound to it. Yes, and you know that word's fitting; it's going to fit with that kind of language. Other words just don't fit at all. You can tell they're from another root language um so yeah there's there's lots of ways it's the same with names naming conventions you know you can um for for characters names you can use baby name searches online but you can also get a surname that you just heard and thought well this is a really cool surname and actually when i'm signing books at Supernova, when i meet lots of different fans coming by if i'm if somebody says to me it happened a couple of times actually somebody has an unusual name i keep a note of it (laughs) oh really I your name and they love it they love it because it's like you know uh it makes them feel special but you know just steal, <laughs> <laughs> steal like an artist <laughs> I love it okay so what are you working on now so I'm working on a new book um I haven't had much time because I'm still on the promotional uh, tour for this one but um I'm hoping this summer, this Christmas holidays, and the summer period away from school will um, give me lots of time to deep dive into that new manuscript. It's too early to talk about what it, exactly it is, but uh, all I can say is that it, it is inspired again by my medieval, uh, you know, studies. So. Oh wow! How exciting! I love but it. Will medieval. have contemporary. It's going to have something contemporary in there too. So it might be a like a dual time time frame type of narrative. I love that combo. Um.
0: All right. So I usually ask writers about their top three writing tips. However, because you're such a beloved um, creative writing tutor and you get, you know, people just absolutely love the mentoring and the feedback that you give them. I would love to ask you instead on of about what do you think people should do if so not about writing technique, but what do you think people should do if they're kind of like, oh, I think I might want to write? Okay.
2: You mean like ad- adults or just they've never written before or they're... Co- sure. Co- yeah.
0: Or yeah. or if they have, it's, you know, not a lot.
2: Okay. Um, well, I in I think it's always handy to be a reader and read, and I think it's really important to... Have favourite readers that favourite books that you start off trying to mimic. I don't think there's anything wrong with mimicking. I think we really overpress this originality thing. Originality is kind of quite a recent construct in in the history of human being uh, of human you know civilization. Um, in the old days, we would learn from copying the great masters. Shakespeare mm. learned from copying medieval manuscripts and medieval stories. That's what he was working with Um,
0: because in in that in in the practice of doing that enables you to work out whether you like it or not and enables kind of at least gets you started and pushes you into a direction that where you may find your own unique style eventually
2: absolutely and I think teenagers are great at this who who um, do fan fiction and we get a lot of um, teenagers on the um, teenage writing course who um, have approached writing because they love a book or a movie or a series that they. it doesn't have to always be written. it can be something they've watched, and they have come to writing because they love that world. they want to continue to have more stories within that world, but the writer who's created it can't keep up. so or well, they've finished writing that world, and they just continue or they do a world mash, they'll do you know like what would you know what would happen if Malfoy was part of the Hunger Games, you know something like that. <laughs> You know, and it's so original it's so beautifully um playful and creative that invariably their own voice comes through and their own passions so I always think you know teenagers kids know what how to go about it and we need to refine the the inner child in us to play go and play
0: I love that so play and mimic mimic you know and, and play mimic the, yeah, people, what else?
2: the writers you love mimic the series you've seen and but it's, it's very hard to actually copy someone. It's I mean, you yeah. can copy a storyline, of course. But um, you mean the style? The style of someone, yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in take one thing, blend it with another thing and put it in a third world. Love like, it. I, <laughs> why not? <laughs> okay. So that's
0: tip one. What about two and three?
2: Um, For finding your feet with writing. Yeah. So I think... Um, Find a writer's group if you can. Um, writer's group suits some people. There are people who don't get on with writer's groups. Yeah. But it it's always helpful if they are not friends, right? So they're people you meet just for writing. They often invariably become friends if you've got a good one. Like my writer's group, we all joined together, been together now for maybe about 17 years. Um, we uh, uh, didn't know each other that well. There was only two of us who knew each other before, but that was through a writing course we'd been on. And writing, going on writing courses is a great way of meeting other people that can become your writer's group. Um, So if you're ever wondering, you know, book clubs can turn into writer's groups, Um, other groups that you have that are creative, art groups can turn into, you know, poetry or writing groups. Um, if you meet one other person, that's a group. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, and they become invaluable in getting feedback and getting keeping motivated. I think is the key thing for people. If you've got someone else involved, you're accountable usually. And I think that's where people fall off the wagon is because there's no one really. You're, they're just writing, and it's like being in a room with no one else listening. <laughs> and um, I think it's really nice uh, to know that someone else is waiting for your words yeah absolutely you know how bad do you think they are the third thing is it's always going to sound rubbish to start with (laughs) if you don't think it sounds rubbish then it probably is (laughs) so um you know writing doesn't come out perfectly that's the beauty of writing all good for my my opinion is um all good writing is good editing basically and um you learn so much from editing i wish there was a way that we could see the first drafts of books of famous people that. Oh,
0: first. I know, right? Brilliant?
2: I've always wanted. Mm. I've always thought that as well. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think there is a book somewhere that has little snippets of that. It might be a writers on writing book, and you can actually see the progression of a first draft to the final, what it became in the final draft. I love I it. In certain scenes, yeah so mimic
0: styles and experiment with styles um join a writer's group and um it's all it's okay it's always going to sound rubbish at the start so but don't worry it gets better i love those tips all right everybody um get your copy of the rising if you haven't read the branded yet get that and read that and then get The Rising by Joe Riccioni. She's a fantastic author and a brilliant creative writing teacher. Thank you so much for your time today, Joe.
2: Thanks, Val. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
0: I hope you enjoyed my chat with Joe. Before I leave you, this is my fun fact for you. The word freelance comes from literally free lance as in a warrior whose lance wasn't sworn to any particular lord so basically a mercenary the first known usage was by Scottish novelist Sir Walter Scott in his novel Ivanhoe published in 1820 it didn't take on its modern meaning until the 1900s there you go that's where the word freelance comes from Thanks so much for listening and hanging out with me this week. Do connect with me and also others in the listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community and request to join. I'd love to see you in there. You can feel free to connect with other people and ask questions and share your writing experiences as well. Feel free to connect with me at Valerie Koo on social media. That's K-H-O-O on Instagram mainly. Mm, not that much on Twitter these days, and over at my personal website, ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast. Or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.